chow it down. <laughs> chow it down with GCP Life. <laughs> Welcome to GCP Life, episode number 28, for the 25th of November, 2022. GCP Life is sponsored by Kazna. At Kazna, we make your Google Cloud solutions possible, and I'm your host, Stephen Bancroft. On today's show, GCPE gets some long-awaited features, the marketplace gets a new feature, we look at GKE gateways, and what does SRE and a broken wheel have in common? But before we get to any of that, I want to introduce the co-host of the show, Dave Wall. How you going, Dave? Yeah, awesome, mate. No, another fortnight, another podcast. I know, another fortnight, another podcast. And I'll tell you, what a scramble to get this show together. <laughs> we just snuck up. Like, I was checking my calendar this morning. I'm like, okay, i got a bunch of stuff I need to do. I'm like, oh, no, there's like a two-hour block for podcast. Oh, okay, all right. I know. <laughs> Game we, face. I think we, we mentioned in the last episode that... The, this project back-to-back meetings but it, it hasn't slowed down it hasn't no, slowed no. down you got a lot to do and, and not much time to do and, and christmas rapidly approaching it is it is rapidly approaching but um yeah we managed to carve out some time to get it out because we know there's some listeners out there that hang in to hear what we've got to say definitely yeah <laughs> definitely i um i uh, I've, I've got a few little things going on the back burner actually i I thought I'd I thought I'd uh, introduce you to this little project I'm working on, Dave. Check it out. Check right. it out. Yeah, right, yeah. Let me see. Let me see. Okay, he's showing me oh. a circuit board. This is very good audio. This is great <laughs> audio content. What I'm holding up here for Dave. It's really uh, big. What is this? This is my tech adventure. My upcoming tech adventure. It's an EATX motherboard. It yeah. does not have a single component soldered onto it. <laughs> I will be soldering every single component onto this board. <laughs> it's just that's a lot of soldering. It's huge, right? What like you say EATX, but like what generation? What's it for? What is going onto that mobile? And and you know, I get all the components in a little bag like that. I've got a whole box full of components like that. What it is is an Amiga two thousand. <laughs> now I know I've mentioned this on the show before, an Amiga fanboy from way back. Uh, you, you cannot, well, you can buy them, um, secondhand, but they're usually broken and have problems and they're like 40 year old hardware and, uh, quite often the batteries leak and just destroy the circuit boards on them. Um, this thing is a modernized version of an Amiga 2000 with all the mod cons on it, uh, and modern componentry. Of course, you've got to use all the custom chips. Yeah. yeah. Um, Vastly improved and fits in a modern case, so that's my little project. Uh, you know, about ten years ago, I got I, I threw my hands up and I sold all my Amiga stuff. But then this project came along. It's an open source project called EATX Two K, and I went, you know what? I'm going to build one of those. I always wanted to build one, so this is it. Oh I've got, man. You're going to have got, to have some steady hands. I know, I know. And I got the magnifying glass and the whole thing, you see everything <laughs> going on. But right now, in my shed over there, I've got every part that I need to put it together and make it work. 
Right. So I'm envisioning that this is going to be like, um, you know, like some people have like a project car that sits in their garage. It's like 20 years, like, oh, dad's project car. And he's, I, yeah, I, and oh, I found a new gear stick for it. <laughs> this is going to be you now, right? Like, And it's like a 30-year-old Monaro or something like that. <laughs> it's the same you know, 40-year-old retro computer. <laughs> Oh, when, honestly, um, I don't know why I'm doing it. It's just, it's just because that's that's why I'm doing it. I'm going to build this thing, and what am I going to be able to do with it? Uh, not a lot. There's not even a, a decent web browser for the operating systems. <laughs> we choose to do these things because they are hard. <laughs> Will yeah. you have an your Amiga running by the end of the decade? I say no, no. But I, I worked it out. If I there's nearly five hundred individual components that I've got to solder on. Uh huh. If if I do like fifteen a day, like and that's that's thirteen on that strip, then I can probably do it in about fifty days. Weeks. <laughs> Months. <laughs> uh calling me skeptical, but I am I will be very keen to see your progress. <laughs> Well, it's not the soldering that I'm worried about. Okay, yeah. It's the the uh, fault finding when the thing doesn't power up. <laughs> That's the problem. Because <laughs> yeah, it no ain't going to turn on. Yeah, it I've... ain't going to turn on the first time I switch it on, I guarantee. No, because <laughs> you, you have that problem, like, I don't know about you, but every time I build a PC, yeah. the they never turn on the first time. I'm shorting <sighs> something. There's always some dumb thing. But yeah, at least with yeah. a PC, like, you know, it's, I've got, like, five things to un- Even if I strip it all apart, it doesn't take that long to pull a PC apart. But you're going to have yep. to go through and fault find every single... No, that, that's right. <laughs> I, I've got an oscilloscope and, like, the moulding meter and the whole box and dice to, to do all that. But, um, yeah, it's going to require some help from the guys on the Discord channel, I think. <laughs> yeah. We'll see how we go. <laughs> oh, good for you, mate. Good for you. <laughs> How do your tech adventures stack up to that? <laughs> uh, you know what? I, I don't have anything that's that's too exciting. Um, I did. Uh, I just. I, I did just recently have to do like a a three D print for someone. He had a. Uh, it was actually kind of cool. It was like a, a a Palo Alto firewall that they wanted to get a, a like a mount for. Mm. But it was uh, it was really dense. Like it's small. Like it's, you picture like a. Really like a branch office sort of thing, not not a full one RU, but it was really hefty uh, and quite deep inside. Um, so I had to kind of learn a, a few new interesting tricks on how to build. A, I ended up having to go to two RU in size. I had to go like double thickness. Um, mm. But yeah, I had to had to learn a whole bunch of uh, tricks with. Uh, like supporting it so that with that weight on the back that it wouldn't droop inside your rack once you deployed it and where the power supplies were going to go. Um, so it was pretty cool. I was, I was glad to get it done, but each like iteration print was like a day's worth of printing. <laughs> so uh, I was sort of glad to have that one out of the house. Yeah, 3D printing. I, I don't know. I've got to get my feet wet with 3D printing. I've never 3D printed something um but you know, I build computers from scratch. That's 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 my bag. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's good fun, uh, and you yeah. learn a lot, especially when things don't go right. Like yeah. um, having to learn how to do the maintenance, and yeah, they can be finicky. <laughs> yeah, I remember hearing about uh, RepRap. Was it the RepRap printer? Yeah, yeah, the, the rep early rap days. Movement. And the big the big deal at the time was it's a three D printer, 
that can print 3D parts for itself. Yep. So so it was a whole community, the RepRap community, and yeah. um, it's a. Uh, it's interesting. I'm actually I'm giving a, a very small talk tomorrow in our in our team all hands. Yes. Uh, I'm going to go into some of this, but um, yeah, there was the patents on 3D printing expired. Well, on the like plastic extrusion 3D printing expired in 2009, and as soon as they did, the market just exploded. All these like homebrew 3D printers became viable, and you had a whole bunch of like little micro companies spin up around being able to produce these. Cool. I think part of my problem is I've actually got nowhere to put the printer. I have to work on that one. Oh, they're not they're not that big. <laughs> I mean, they can be, but yeah. most of the most of the ones will fit on a desktop or on a lac table. <laughs> yeah, right, I might have to look into it, see what we can do. But um, what about Twitter? I don't think we can go I- without mentioning <laughs> Twitter. I, I am I am I'm a gog is what I am. <laughs> I'll I'll read the, the latest t- tweets that are the internal politics of this thing imploding. I'm yeah. I, 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 I don't even know where to begin. It's forty four billion dollars to just set it on fire. Just destroy it. So what have we got? Over the last few weeks we've got sacked a bunch of engineers. Well half the company. Like half the instantly company. half gone. Uh, and and then rehired them based on how much code they'd written. Oh, there was like some were hired back because um, it was like, oh, actually, we, we've sacked this entire team and we actually need them. <laughs> um, there were yeah, code reviews based off lines of code. I saw a thing where Musk demanded uh, all the engineers to turn up in the office within three hours, uh, come up to the floor where he was. Print off your most salient, this is a quote, your most salient code samples from like the last six months. Right. Uh, and, you know, explain the value. Like, oh, for a wow. start, cause right. like a lot of good engineers take pride yeah. in the amount of code that they delete. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. If it's Interesting. just, you know, big chunks of code. like That un- unnecessary or bloatware. Yeah, you've got rid of it. Um, $8 verified account, and then you had Just all anyone. These, and anyone just could anyone do it. Just anyone verified, and, oh, I'm just going to make a comment and send your stock price through the floor. Yeah. Someone like, uh, impersonated the you know, Eli Lilly um, pharmaceutical yeah. company said, like, uh, all uh, insulin is free now, which is obviously That's a big it. money maker for them. And, yeah, did significant damage. Um, the same that across all these brands. I, also, I saw, like, him getting into- Twitter beef with the heads of like global ad agencies, like his biggest actual clients, like people who use Twitter aren't the clients, right? But the ad agencies are. He's getting to yeah, yeah. Twitter beef with his own customers and then blocking them. Like, what is this? <laughs> and allowing Trump back on the platform, you know, <laughs> begging Trump to get back on the platform is more the case. Uh, I'm, I what I don't know where to start. Fire. It's just yeah. yeah. Well, I, I I don't know. I'm second guessing myself on Twitter now. Um, I, you know, I could go and remove my. I have an account there. Look, I barely use it, honestly. And GCP Life doesn't account hasn't have an account on there. And the idea was to promote the show on there, but I'm having second thoughts about that. But the problem is, if you do go and remove your account, they still got your data anyway. Um, 
Yeah, I um, I, I yeah, same. Like, I do have a Twitter account, but I'm I'm terrible at it. I just I'm yeah. doing that whole self promotion thing. I'm I'm not good at that, yeah. <laughs> admittedly. Um, but and LinkedIn for us, I think LinkedIn is probably a better platform for that anyway. Mm. If yeah, it were. true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think the the thing for me is like I'm. I'm a big SpaceX fan, right? Like, I, I yeah. love the work that SpaceX- I love the way he's driven SpaceX. Yeah, yeah. And um, Teslas, too. I mean, there's a lot of Teslas. You pull up a new set of lights now, and there'll be three Teslas in, in the traffic. Yeah, so- like, come on. I mean- <laughs> But, you know, that's a, that's a very different thing. And even, like, SpaceX, yeah. as good as the work that they do, like, they also have a reputation. They tend to burn through engineers within about three years, right? You sort of, yeah. you go in there out of college, you do amazing work, get a huge uh, uptick on your resume, and then you go off to a traditional aerospace company where you yeah. can actually work reasonable hours and maybe have a home life. Yeah, and then you're done. Yeah, yeah but if to try and, like, shoehorn- that culture onto a company that already exists. Very different. Yeah, difficult like- to break the culture that already exists there. Unless you sack half the staff, that tends <laughs> to be a culture-breaking move. Well, yes. I mean, <laughs> we didn't even touch on, there was the, you know, sacking half the staff, but then sending out a company-wide email saying like, hey, everyone, you're all going to work in the office. You're going to do like 84-hour weeks for no more money. Mm. Uh, click this link to confirm that you agree. If not, I'll give you three months severance. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. Like, um, who would write I did, that? <laughs> I did see a tweet from, um, actually, I, for whatever reason, I follow quite a few people on, on I do follow people on Twitter, and uh, Elon Musk is one of them, but for whatever reason, Twitter keeps surfacing Elon Musk's tweets to me, like, constantly, right? <laughs> Even though there's heaps of other things I follow. And there was, an engineer had replied to Elon Musk and said, and I'm kind of paraphrasing here, words to the effect of, uh, we used to have meetings where we discussed the color and positions of icons, but in the last week, I've rewritten the entire code base to a backend mass- messaging system that I've hated for years. I've never felt more alive. Yeah. However, now <laughs> because of the whole blue tick verification thing being a scam, we don't know if that's true or not. That could that could be a Twitter well, engineer. It could be anyone. <laughs> Okay, you're right. You got me there. Touche. That's that's the other side of it. Like now, okay, now we can't trust any of them. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Um, I mean, look, it's different horses for different courses, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. clearly something worked well at SpaceX, right? They 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 did they basically did the impossible. They were told that you know vertical landing was a thing of science fiction and was could not be done but it was done, right? So clearly there's people that enjoy that that work environment, right? It w- I imagine it would have been a high-pressure work environment, high performance, and uh, they got they did the impossible. Um, there are, there are going to be people at Twitter that want to work like that, but there are obviously people there that mm. don't want to work like that. You've also got to consider, though, the mission as well, right? Like if yeah. you... Uh, you're at SpaceX and you're like, all right, we're going to, we are making the, the 
humanity multiplanetary, right? We're going to do things that nobody has ever done, mm, right? Mm. Like, that's inspiring. Like, you talk to someone, they're like, oh, wow, you work at SpaceX. Oh, yeah, cool. And same goes for Tesla, right? Like, okay, we got this, you know, environmental revolution. We're trying to, we're going to save the world from climate or we're going to, you know, help save the world from climate change. Yeah. Like, you can get on board with that. It was like- Making a difference. It's yeah. like, yeah, uh, we let people, you know, send 280 mm. characters about whatever they're thinking right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a bit. I'm a bit. <laughs> no, no, you're right. You're right. Yeah, like it's a different thing, yeah. right? It's, yeah, yeah. It's 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 not as um, yeah world changing, is it? Well, I mean, you could argue it is. Really, I mean, it's it's the communication platform now. I mean, world leaders are having argy bargies on it. You know. Uh, yeah, and I, I think that is where it's uh, also got interesting because it is has been used as an official communication arm for you know, governments all over the world, um, all sorts of public figures. So they do have a stake in it, but I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> we, we could we could waste breath on this for a lot longer, but we're not going to. No, no. <laughs> Let's get on with the news items. And first cap off the rank for this week is GCVE. We love a bit of GCVE, and uh, it's got a bunch of new features. Yeah, what do you think about this, Dave? Yeah. So it was a, a huge amount of uh, of updates, um, and it kind of like there were, these were things that we we as in internally we knew that were on the roadmap. We had done some testing of some of these features, um, but when it hit GA on Friday, <laughs> the, the release yeah. notes, I was like, "Oh, that's a surprise!" It just um, dropped, didn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, and of course, we're in the middle of a project. We're sort of planning for one direction. All these features dropped. It's like, hang on a minute. Now we've got to do it this. Way. Yeah, yeah, no. If we'd um, uh, if we were like kind of three weeks, uh, if there, if this had happened like three weeks from now, it would definitely have changed what we'd had to do. So kind of just yeah, in the nick yeah. of time. Um, but yeah, a couple of really nice features. So um, the first one I think is probably the 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 GA of the CLI, like the G Cloud commands to be able to yep. stand up VMware engine clusters um, and also and the API access too. So, yeah, we did some uh, some early access on this back in September um, and uh, it, it's really awesome to see that come up now. So you can't, um, you can't use like Terraform with it just yet, but mm. now the fact that the APIs are available, it's only a matter of time for that provider to be created. Um, so that's super cool. Um, and another one, and this was this was also a, a big surprise, is that they've now pushed uh, vSAN stretched clusters. So this allows you to do like multi-zone HA with VMware Engine. Uh, that's now gone to GA. It's only in, in one country in Europe. It's in the, the Frankfurt region Frankfurt, for now. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, you know, it's only a matter of time before that expands out. So that's really exciting to see that come in. That's a a, a really awesome feature to be able to have, you know, multi multi zone HA without having to worry about like a DR cluster or anything like that. So Yeah, so just for the for everyone listening, what's what's going on under the hood to make that stretch cluster happen? Like what is it actually, and what's what could you expect if you were building out a stretch cluster? Right. So, on the underlay, it's actually there's actually sort of three sides involved in a in a VMware vSAN stretch cluster. Right. So you 
just to, to level set, vSAN is hyper-converged storage. So if you think physical servers that have their own disk, um, it kind of pulls all the disks together across all of the you know the physical servers and shares mm, like, that. like we've been doing with raid for forever yeah kind of but yeah, you're talking yeah. physical servers right and it's sending that data uh, over the network and happens in vmware engine you've got a 50 gig but well, it's a 100 gig link but 50 gig for vsan storage uh to facilitate that traffic now in a stretched cluster you have you know say at the the bare minimum the minimum one right you would have in zone a you'd have three nodes and then in zone b you'd also have three nodes Mm. and you can so you not only have the storage kind of converged on one side but you've also got it in a whole other data center and you have a really 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 fast link low latency link between the two it's like i think it's a five millisecond round trip time Mm. Mm. um and your vms can run on one side or the other and if you're using and you will be, uh, an SXT for the networking. You can have all your network on both sides. And if one side goes down, then just native VMware HA slash DRS brings up your VMs on the other side. side. So that's really cool. And, of course, we're using Google's internal network to do all of this. So we have uber bandwidth and Mm -hmm. super low latency connecting our zones together. Yeah, and you don't have to worry about standing up any of that. Um, yeah. It's a fully validated solution. There's also, um, to, to have a stretched cluster normally, you have to have a third site witness. So it's like a, like a virtualized VMware node that uh, looks at the other two so it can see if one goes down and, and help tie break when you've only got two. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you get that as part of this as well, but Google manages it for you. You don't have to worry about it. Yeah, we had a bit of an aha moment when we looked at that. We go, where does this fit into the picture? And then, yeah, how, how do I stand it up? Up, oh, don't do, need to. <laughs> don't need to. No, one less thing to worry about. Um, so yeah, that's that's really good. And I think that there's been plenty of enterprises that have been waiting for that feature to come out. Interesting point here in this article. Um, we are. It goes in and says we are we are launching zone protection with stretched private clouds which improves the availability and reliability beyond the industry-leading 99.99% SLA. So you're getting a better SLA than 99.99. Oh, I guess that's five nines then maybe? Uh, <laughs> it would be an additional decimal. I don't know if it's a whole yeah, extra nine or it's a- <laughs> They're not giving us exact numbers, but they are saying better than four nines, yeah. Yeah, you're, I mean, your you're RTO- when you've got stretch clustering is super tight um, yeah. because it's you're just waiting for VMware to see that the hosts are down and then it goes, oh, okay, if the hosts, if I can't get to the host, they must be down. It means the VMs that they were running are down. I'll bring them up. So you're really only allowing for a heartbeat time and then the time it takes for your VMs to come up. Yeah, and with the way it's configured uh, in GCP, it brings up the nodes on the, the entire node. So if you lose the three nodes on the A side and you've already got three nodes on the B side, it'll bring up six nodes on the B side? Uh, if you need to. Uh, depends on how your compute's laid out. Uh, you would have oh, to- yeah, right, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So if you were, say, balanced 
because you have to have the storage is is copied on both sides. Um, yeah. But if you had, say, one side where the CPU and memory was going, like, really hard, then you could just have your auto-scaling kick in. So, like, okay, now I have to run six nodes worth of workloads on the other side. I no better side. go and spin up another three nodes. Yep. So, yeah, that auto-scaling gets away from the paradigm of having to have that 50-50 split with you. Yeah, if, well, you, if you're on-prem, yeah. if you're on-prem, yeah. you'd have to provision for it. Yeah. Right, yep. so you don't have to deal with that at all. No, because the auto scaling, yeah, yeah, beautiful. Oh, so good, and we're we're going to get to set this up, which is uh, super exciting, super exciting. All right, let's move on. Um, came across a Kubernetes story during the week, and uh, look, admittedly, we we don't talk about Kubernetes much on the show, but this was a new feature that came into GA, so I thought uh, thought it'd be worth mentioning. Uh, Kubernetes Engine Gateway Controller is now GA for single cluster deployments. So we're talking about a thing called Gateway API here. It's a, an open source role-based standard for service networking. Now, uh, in the past, um, each service owner in a GKE cluster made individual decisions about their choice of ingress, which led to inconsistencies um, and all different ways of, of ingressing into their uh, cluster. Now what we have is a single gateway to do that, and you can define routes within that gateway, and it just gives a single point of ingress. Right. Okay. Yep. Nice. Right. Right. So uh, if you look at our diagram here, and I'll link to this in the show notes, you see we have a gateway with an administrator, and each service uh, is accessible via just a simple route in the gateway. Yeah, gotcha. So you don't have to stand up your own Nginx ingress or anything like that because you can provide right. that That's to right. your customers. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, take a quote from the article here. Thanks to the flexibility and separation of concerns built into GP, uh, Gateway API, GKE platform administrators can now attach a secure shared load balancer to a GKE cluster and let service owners define routing and traffic management policies to access their applications running in this multi-tenant GKE cluster. Why would you want to do this? Well, you get the following capabilities. Um, a shared gateway, as we discussed, um, that's previously been a real big pain point. By defining that single gateway, uh, a single shared load balancer is created for the entire cluster and each application team can define their own routes to express the expected routing behavior for their namespace. So the route is attached to the gateway, which keeps affording decisions central without compromising the distributed nature of Kubernetes. Right. right. Yeah. So, so and you're taking that off your developers, right? You don't have to worry about the yeah. ingress. Just put the routes in and, you know, this will help. Yeah. So it's... Imagine, like, imagine a reverse proxy in front of a traditional infrastructure. That's basically what this is. Um, global external routing and regional internal load balancing. So it sounds like to me they're leveraging um, Google Cloud load balancers that already existed. Um, so you can get the GKE gateway controller comes default with two classes, global external load balancer and regional internal. Uh, of course, because now you're doing that, you'll get end-to-end -end encryption because that was already already existed. Um and you'll get uh, things like advanced traffic management, uh, which you can say you can do traffic splitting, uh, you can do policy forwarding, things like that. Um, cool new feature, um, simplifies things a lot more. Um, they're 
They've got a roadmap for uh, multi-cluster gateways. Um, so you could have, um, obviously, more than one cluster and then have a route map in front of those clusters and then decide where that gateway is going to send uh, each request. Yep, depending um, on where so your customers are. or Depending on where your customers are. So, so you're load balancing clusters now. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I and because you are using the Google Cloud Load Balancer, um, you'll get other features like SSL policies, HTTP redirects, identity aware proxy, and cloud armor. It's all the things that you really want to keep. <laughs> all the things that you really want. They're all, they're all the things that if you've got a web app, you really need to put it behind a load balancer and employ some of those features. Cool. Let's move on then. Um, an article that Dave, you brought this to my attention. Um, Use cases are still emerging for next-generation cloud architecture. Um, now, do we do we have a definition of what next-generation <laughs> cloud architecture yeah, I mean, is? Yeah, that's what kind of drew me to. Um, it's it's really what drew me to this article. Like, what is next-generation cloud? And like, you know, I've heard of things like next-generation firewalls. And like, okay, but what is this next-generation cloud architecture? But I mean, really what the article is going into is, is talking about like the distributed cloud services by the, you know, the big providers, right? Which, you know, Google has their own one, distributed cloud edge, which is a way mm. for you to be able to bring like your Google cloud services into your own data center or closer to you if you don't have, um, you know, a GCP region nearby. And then the other hyperscalers yeah. have this too. You can get like Azure Stack and... I can't remember what the, the AWS one is, but um, so yeah, it was it was interesting in that they're talking really about this you know, de- distributed cloud being like a decentralized approach, like being able to pull it out from the regions. But I mean, you do still it's not it's not decentralized in that the you know you go going completely your own way. You're really just more extending the cloud into your own footprints. Yeah. Um. Take a quote here from this article. CIOs are very interested in distributed cloud. If you can't go to the public cloud, how do you bring the public cloud to you? And I think this is all about the, uh, in some industries, the general nervousness about using cloud services. Yeah, and some industries, though, are super latency dependent, right? Like if you've got a, a use case where, well, actually, yeah, I've got these... Um, I've got, say, something in the manufacturing line. I've got like a, a, a PLC or something that needs to be switched on or off like really quickly. Mm. Maybe um, I can't handle the latency of going off to like my closest region. Say my closest region is, is you know, six or 10 or 20 milliseconds away. Yeah. It might not be for purpose. Like I really want to use the cloud. <laughs> And I want to and this manage article it does way. call that out. If you're in the west coast of Australia at the moment, you're you're hosed. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's all all east coast at the moment. Exactly right. So you know, this does give you a capability of going. Okay, well, we will just we'll extend the footprint to your data center. You can mm. host the services that you need that are latency or bandwidth dependent. You can run them there. Um, and for everything else, there's you know the the main regions. So there is an interesting quote in here. It says, one of the barriers to uptake is that organizations are still extracting sufficient value from centralized cloud and the access to innovation and agility that it provides. Now, I remember there was an article that we covered on the last show 
that said the opposite to this. <laughs> In fact, that article said something along the lines of small to medium, uh, small to medium businesses. Uh, cloud is no good for small to medium businesses. It's too costly and too complex. We're not seeing the value. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I think we said last fortnight, I think we said everything <laughs> that we could possibly say about how we felt about that argument. Um, yes. But I, I do actually, this quote is actually pretty interesting because it is showing, though, that you know, like most companies are still well on the path to like adopt the cloud as much as they can. And I think what mm. they're saying is like there's still- they can still get a lot of value, even if, like this, the example I was using before about having like really low latency requirement. Well, that same organization might still be able to move plenty of things to the cloud that don't require that, um, and they're actively working on that. Right. So there's only so many engineers you can hire. There's only you know so much time and budget in any given year to migrate your workloads. So this is probably more like edge case stuff. They might, they might, that same company could go, all right, well, this one system that's very latency specific, we'll just, we'll put a pin in that one for now. We'll go work on everything else that we've got to do. And then maybe by the time we're ready to do this one, there'll be another region deployed or Mm. they can look at, you know, a distributed service. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's just showing that, just generally speaking, like cloud adoptions are just accelerating so rapidly and we'll come back to these edge cases later. That's the agile approach, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. You pick the low-hanging fruit, you get to go for the easy wins. Uh, you you know you may you may have a sudden pivot in your organization where that product or service or whatever it is may become redundant. So there may be no need to migrate it to the cloud. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But yeah, we always we always spruik it. We always say it. If you do it the right way, it can be cheaper and easier and better. Um, and I think there was also there was an interesting point uh, in there that was talking about um, just like multi cloud and how much though you know organizations were struggling there. And I think that sort of came down to the point of like again getting uh, experienced talent to be able to do that. Mm. Um, it's all, it was already hard enough trying to find uh, enough qualified cloud engineers in any particular <laughs> hyperscaler, uh, but then finding people who are skilled in both or three or, or three four or, or however many you end up wanting to choose and skilled in the ones that you want to choose. Like you might- that particular combination. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. so like you might want to do GCP and Azure, but you can only find an AWS and Azure person. So yeah, you know, yeah, it, it does- the more requirements you have, the more complexity you're going to have in trying to find people. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you don't need multi-cloud. Just stay with GCP. We do all of it. We can do all of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll move on to the next item here. Um, another new feature, uh, Google Cloud Private Marketplace. Yes, yeah, it's a nice little feature. In fact, when this was announced, uh, it kind of clicked for me of like, ah. Oh, I'm actually surprised that they didn't have that before. <laughs> yeah, how did this not exist? Um, so, I mean, everyone's familiar with the marketplace. You just go in, you, you click a click a box, and it runs a. Usually, it would run a, a cloud build, and then go away in your project, and then and then build that product in your project. 
Yeah, like give uh, me uh, a lamp stack by Bitnami. You know, it's the like, boop, yeah. press the button, off it goes. Off it goes. Yeah. Um. Well, the new private marketplace feature allows IT and cloud administrators to create a private, curated version of Google Cloud Marketplace that's accessible to employees within their organization. It's a very good idea. Like, why good not? Good idea. Yeah. If you want to spin up something, some tooling for your sort of local tooling for your team, set up a project, get some, get an endorsed thing from the private marketplace for your business and spin it up and get access to it. Yeah. So, so why would you want to do it? Uh, well, it gives curated product collections for your org, right? will ensure that they can identify pre-approved products quickly with certainty, uh, prevents redundant products. Now, this is something I hadn't thought about. Um, it will simplify the knowledge sharing, right? So mm-hmm. if you've got um, product from company ABC and then another product from company XYZ and they both do the same thing, um, well, would, doesn't it make sense for your org to standardize on on the one tool so everyone can share knowledge around that tool? Yeah, it certainly does. Yeah. Uh, and reduces shadow IT. Yeah, setting up a private marketplace allows you to enforce controls by only showing approved products and encourage their use. Um, we don't want to be using uh, products that fall outside uh, corporate policies or break the paradigm of the way uh, the cloud should be used within the corporate or do nefarious things. Um, so, yeah, we using one that's been certified is, um, you know, it's yeah. a much, much better situation. And it's, it seems like it's really straightforward to set up as well. Um, it doesn't seem like it's, it's too involved to go into cloud marketplace and you know, create a collection and then sort of publish it to your organization. So it's uh, pretty nice. Yeah, okay. It's got the instructions here. I'll link in the show notes. Um, give it a name, add products, click share. Share to your organization. Hmm, nice. Yeah, straightforward. Uh, and then you make your private marketplace visible on Google Cloud Marketplace. Hmm, very nice. Yeah, so that's uh, one to check out. All right, and uh, this last item here, this was this was great. Look, this is an awesome read. This was uh, a blog um, on the new stack, uh, and uh, it, it was called uh, What a Broken Wheel Taught Google Site Reliability Engineers. Now, it, it's actually a link off to the main article, but uh, this article uh, summarises it quite well, and... <laughs> Oh, Look, I was gonna no. be a, there's gonna be a few <laughs> gonna be a few spoilers here. <laughs> yeah, so I hadn't read this article before the show, right? So right. I, you, but you've got me scrolling through it in advance, and okay, I'll, I'll, I'll let you go into it. <laughs> well, it's an SRE article, and they're talking about SRE at Google scale, and they're talking about they bring up a couple of really great points. Um, they, they talk about how every incident should be unique. That's the first thing, right? So uh, that's really something that they strive for. So every incident, every problem that comes in should be unique. If it's not unique, it means they didn't fix it last time. Yeah. Right? So that's kind of the first thing. 
Um, something else they mention is at Google scale, million to one chances happen all the time. Right, so it seems unlikely, but yeah, it's going to happen because they've got so many servers, right, and so many data centers. The main sort of point around this article was this incident they had where they had a rack, and this this sounds like a horror story. It really <laughs> sounds like well, maybe maybe you should let them know a couple of our horror stories. But they they had a rack where the rear caster wheels had fallen off the rack, and the servers were in the rack, and of course it was on a lean. And because it was on lean, the coolant flow was affected, which caused the CPUs to overheat and go into throttle mode. <laughs> <laughs> that was the root cause of the incident. It wasn't because some process was hogging memory or t- consuming too many threads or yeah. you know constantly restarting. <laughs> it was an Isaac was Newton problem. problem. <laughs> <laughs> problem with gravity. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, that is about, as they say, as the bottom of the stack as you can get. It was a physical problem in the data center. Now, they also point out another good, a, a good, make a good, another good point in this article where they say, no one goes in data centers anymore. They, you wouldn't normally see that. The lights are out, right? You wouldn't be in there walking around seeing that. Um, something that they, Quote in in the blog, they say there was another known case where a rack had fallen through the floor tiles <laughs> and was sitting on the concrete floor, right? But was still running, right? And it could have no one knows how long it was like that for. <laughs> just the floor right? just collapsed and the floor just collapsed and it's just sitting on the concrete under the tiles. Um. So yeah, as a result of these wheels fall, the casters falling off the rack, they put in a, they made a a problem ticket out of it and they went around, they inspected all the racks and all the wheels and they found several other racks that have this problem with the casters and they had a program of work to go and replace all the casters. (laughs) And then what do you need to do? You need to put a, uh, some, (laughs) I'm envisioning a a way to fix it permanently, right? I'm picturing like a spirit level with a camera on it. (laughs) (laughs) Like um, no, nah, you, you could build a tilt switch circuit from a nah. Raspberry Pi. Oh and yeah, that up. Oh, yeah, with a little mercury switch, <laughs> a little mercury switch. Yeah, 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 yeah that's okay, we're out of calibration. But I like the idea of having um a spirit level with a camera on it, like Cloudflare do with their generating entropy with the lava lamps. Oh, that's yeah, all with I'm the lava lamps. Yeah. <laughs> uh, wow, yeah. that's that's amazing. That's it's it's, and, and it, you're yeah. right though because you just. You just don't go to the DC anymore. Even if you've got a colo facility, you're like, okay, um, I'm going to go to the DC next week. Does anyone have anything they need done? It's yeah, not like the days right. where it's like the next room and the IT guys are, you know, yeah. sitting next to the, the white noise. <laughs> and the door opens up, woo, and then it closes. Yeah. Oh, stop going into that room. Yeah. <laughs> Constantly just the sound of people badging in and out of going to yeah. the server room. That's it. Uh, those were the days. But look, th- there's also another a great link off of this page, linked to the software folklore. Now, <laughs> software folklore is is a bunch of stories um, which are very similar to our horror stories, including uh, a now infamous story about um, open office not printing on Tuesdays. Now, I'd heard office, this one before. Not printing yeah. on Tuesdays. Uh, open okay. office not printing. I'd heard this one before, and that's spoiler alert, but you know, there's plenty of other stories you can read about. Yeah, 
the famous ticket where that was put in. Open office doesn't print on Tuesdays. Well, what the heck's going on? Why doesn't it print on Tuesdays? Turns out there was a control code in the date time header that was mucking up the PDF, the post descriptor that went to the printer and was crashing the printer. It would only happen on Tuesdays because that was the control code for Tuesdays. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, yes, stories, that story and many more can be found on Software Folklore, which is, which is linked in the link that I'll put in the show notes. Um, also bring up a good SRE point in this article, um, and that is it's better to spend much more effort on catching symptoms than causes. When it comes to causes, only worry about very definite, very immediate causes. Yeah, true. Like, because you want to be able to solve for families of problems. You want to know the symptom, right? Yeah. Not not so much the cause. So an example might be uh, a really simple example. You've got a bunch of CPU. You've got a, you've got a system. It's got high CPU, like 99% CPU load, but it's fine, right? There's no symptom from that, co- from that, mm. right? Um, so, do you do anything about it? Do you worry about it? Yeah, There's no gotta, need to, right? So the valuable metrics. Yeah. That's right. You might be measuring CPU. It might say 99%, but is it causing a problem? Yeah. Well, well, it's like, yeah. um, you know, like there's plenty of systems, you know, think like, uh, you know, database servers, right? Where mm. they, you, they will take as much uh, memory as you can give them, right? Like you, you, you give the server a hundred gig of memory and it will take a hundred gig it'll of memory because like, it'll fill yep. it with cash. Yep. Um, and then you go, oh, okay, well, we'll give it an extra 50 gig and yep. uh, it's instantly using an extra 50 gig. <laughs> so yep. yeah, that's fine. It's going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you need to do that? Have you got like latent requests, uh, you got, you know, maybe you should look at optimizing your requests a little bit more so they're not so huge. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that can be a, a way to fix it, depending on what, you, on what your um, symptom is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so great read. Lots of good folklore stuff in there. Um, good lessons on SRE. And we love a horror story. So We love a horror story, yeah. All right, and we've got one little surprise at the end of this show. Um, I was in the Mantle Group office last Friday and uh, catching up with a few of the guys there. We we had our team retro, which was uh, quite a pleasant affair. A um, bit of uh, hanging out and just uh, shooting the breeze and talking about what we did well and what we sometimes maybe what we didn't do so well. Uh, all all all. All really good and really uh, where where we want to go, right? Like the, really constructive, yeah. really constructive. Yeah. Uh, so I caught up with one of our engineers there, a dish, uh, and I took him aside, and uh, we had a little chat in a little side room there for about ten minutes. And uh, I've got an interview here for you guys to listen to. So let's get on with the interview. All right, um, meet the Kasdian, sitting down with the dish. Um, this is, I think, will be our second interview for Meet the Kasdians. And how are you going, Adish? Fantastic. We just had a team retro yeah, today. We did, yeah. Lots of fun, so can't complain. And it's a Friday afternoon, so perfect. It's nice, and we're just sitting here with a glass of wine, yeah. um, just just relaxing at the uh, Kasna Mental Group offices here. And uh, no, it was a good retro. It was good. It was, it was great retro to uh, talk about what's worked, 
it's not works mm. you know it's that the reflection uh, periodically is really nice too yeah and i think that's something that mantle and kazan does really well right like the reflection on the culture and importance of maintaining our culture yeah, yeah even even at the end of every project right we yeah. we do a retro to see how how what we did well and what we could improve so that, i think that's really important yeah 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 absolutely look we could talk about Kasner and Mantle all day, but that's not what we're here for. We're going to talk about you, Adish. This is Meet the Kasnians. So um, tell us about yourself, how you got involved with Kasner and sort of what your background is. Absolutely. So I graduated from uni at the end of 2019 and started working from 2020, which is when COVID hit as well. Mm, so mm. started my career as a software engineer, network software engineer at... Telstra, which I believe you uh, <laughs> I have some history of Telstra, yes. yes. <laughs> um, I think we've had conversations before about us having that shared history of yeah. Telstra at different points as well. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah did, went through the graduate program, which is fresh out of uni. They teach you a lot about being a professional in the corporate world, you know, teach a lot of, a lot of technical skills, um, you know, software engineering, network engineering, all that sorts. Yeah. So I did that for about 18 months. Um, then I kind of working in a big organization felt a bit soul destroying. You just felt like one of tens of thousands of uh, yeah, people. Yeah, I can, I can yeah. Uh, sympathize with that. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought I just wanted a bit of a change, wanted to work in a smaller organization, but also equally I love solving problems, mm. right? So I thought it would be great to work for a company that, you know, has a known history of being a great place to work mm. and then grow myself as well mm. in that way. Mm. And, well, I mean, Kasner and Mantle aren't, like, super small. I wouldn't call them, like, small, small. They're, it they're, was at that point. It was at that point, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we're approaching medium size now. But yeah. um, we still really do have that small business feel, don't we? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's... It's that it's like a family culture. Yeah. is what I would describe. Yeah, as. like we know so many people. Like we, you and me, we we've worked in a few projects before, mm. but we still you know talk to each other randomly, which is great. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> and what are you doing day to day at the moment? Or you can't we can't give too many details about our clients and the rest of it. Yeah, I think our listeners know that. But day to day, what are you what are you Absolutely. doing? Absolutely. So, yeah. few things. One is client work. So I'm working yeah. in a small startup building the GCP foundations mm. for, to allow them to scale to the next level. Yeah. Um, and what sort of tech are you doing with that? What um, Google tech are you using with that? Uh, cloud run, yeah. cloud builds, BigQuery, so all your serverless offerings because yeah. startups love uh, serverless oh, offerings, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, low cost, uh, easy to scale, easy to maintain. So that that's one of my main focuses. And the other focus is the early careers program that – Mantel and Kazna. You are run. involved in that. Absolutely. I see your name pop up all the time in relation yeah. to that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I find it a really rewarding experience mm. helping our trainees and future associates, you know, um, hone their skills yeah. in technology. And yeah. a lot of our future associates are career changes as well. Right. So when I see in three months' time how they go from knowing nothing about tech to being able to present in, uh, in front of an audience of Five six hundred. Yeah, right. On a subject they knew nothing about previously. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think that's incredible because yeah. I think I I don't think I would be able to do that in three months. 
And I think these these trainees and future associates, they yeah. learn so much through these programs. Yeah. And it's just absolutely incredible. Yeah, it is amazing if you're given that opportunity to focus intensely on something, how quickly yeah. people can come up to par with something. Yeah, and I've, I've, I'm still fairly early in my tech career, I'd say. Mm. And I almost wish I had the same experience that yeah. these guys get. Just to know. get that leg up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, the technical learnings, the consulting skills, the, the camaraderie they have between their cohort, it's just fantastic to see from the outside. Yeah. So what would you say has been your most rewarding activity um, outside of that, obviously, because that sounds like that was a fantastic opportunity. Yeah. Um, in terms of project work, mm-hmm. what's been your most rewarding project? <clears throat> the one I'm currently at, actually. Right. Um, and that's because I've mostly, previously, I've been involved in bigger enterprise clients, like your big four banks yeah. or other financial institutions, whereas the current company I'm working with, uh, they're a small startup, and it's incredible to see how... Currently, they can't scale to the degree they want to go, mm. but me going in and being, being able to help them yeah. to, to scale their product so that they can go from 2 million data points to 10 million, so yeah. that's 5x growth, and being providing a platform that they can go 10x, 100x growth, yeah. I think it's incredible. Like, you know, we talk about how tech can really change, um, lives. Like, yeah. this company works on changing, making the lives of farmers better. So I think it's really rewarding experience there. And do you find, I know I personally went through this, um, when you get a client like that and they're making that switch from like an old sort of 90s on-prem philosophy to a cloud-centric philosophy, and and when they, they have that light bulb moment and go, oh, yeah, that's the way it should be done. Like, I know I've had that happen a few times and I, that personally happened to me and it's like, ah, that's very rewarding. They get it now. 100%. Yeah. And, and the funny thing is they were already on GCP, yeah. but they weren't using the right ah, tools. They were running it like, yes. So, so, for example, they were using Cloud SQL for mm. all their analytics workloads. But, you know, we've got BigQuery to do all the, yeah. all the analytics workloads in seconds. So their processing time went from minutes down to seconds mm. by just using BigQuery. Yeah. And it's incredible just having the right tools to do the to do what needs to be done, right? Yeah. It's just yeah. incredible. Yeah. Yeah, and going from that, uh, you know, we talk about it all the time, from that pets to cattle philosophy. 100%. You know, you don't, you don't, you're, not, you're not logging into boxes and, you know, looking, you know, manicuring these boxes perfectly. They should be throwaway commodities, right? Yeah, yeah. so... That, that was one of the questions the client asked because they were in a Kubernetes engine and, mm. you know, Kubernetes is great, but, and you can log into these Kubernetes containers and see what's happening, right? But we moved to Cloud Run, which is completely serverless. So yeah. it was very hard for them to get used to the fact that you don't need to log into it. Why are you going on <laughs> <Yeah>. there? <laughs> Stop logging into those boxes. Exactly. <laughs> it's it's you've not got, important. <laughs> you've got cloud logs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm finding that too. I mean, I'm doing a lot of uh, VMware and GCVE GCB, stuff, right? And, yeah. and it's very heavy network focused, right? And the networking engineers are used to going in and looking at BGP and the routing tables and all that stuff. You don't need to, right? It's all looked after and it's all managed under the hood. 
It's like, well, that, that's the whole idea of cloud, right? To take all that heavy yeah. lifting off your hands. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And I mean, you, I know you are a networking guru here in uh, Kasna. I, I come more from, call me that. <laughs> <laughs> I come more from a software engineering yeah. background. So I'm more of a developer. So yeah. I just love the serverless components yeah. in GCP. You know, yeah. that's my bread and butter. Just like, you know, your VMware GCV is what yeah. you love doing. Yeah. I just love using all the serverless offerings and help clients yeah, that no. way. They're all awesome. Yeah. They're all awesome products. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, and, and look, one question I'm going to ask every person I interview, what is your favourite movie and why? What is my favourite movie? Um, mm. It changes when you ask me, but the recent movie that I watched, which I absolutely enjoyed, was The Pianist. Um, Pianist, right. Now, I'm a keyboard player and I don't believe I've actually seen that. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I am fascinated by uh, modern history as well, yep. um, and... This movie is about this uh, Jew, Jewish pianist from Poland during the time of invasion from Nazi Germany. Amazing, yeah. And it goes through this survival journey of, you know, he makes it through the entire invasion without being captured or without losing his life. He loses his family, he's lo he loses his friends, but he somehow makes it through mm. till the end. And just seeing that journey, you know, um, we go through so much stuff in our lives, but just keeping your heads down and focusing on who you are and what you want to do, it just gives you that motivation for me. Yeah, right. Okay. It's good motivation, yeah. like, is it? Yeah. yeah. And it's it's it. a great, great movie. Highly recommend. All right. I'll go and see it. Yeah. Yes. Dish, five out of five from a dish, eh? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> All right, mate. Well, it's been good to catch up. Absolutely. Good to see you in person as well. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Once we're here in, you know, you're yeah. here in person, and uh, I don't mind coming to the office every now <laughs> and then. <laughs> so. Yeah, for, for the team drinks, team events. Yep. It's fantastic. Fantastic. Right. Right. Working from home, perfect. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've got the best collaboration tools in the world, so it makes it all the more yeah. easier. Google Workspace. Google Workspace, yeah. <laughs> all right, mate. Thanks for everything. Thanks a lot, Banky. Thanks for having me here. Awesome. Well, that's probably enough for this fortnight. What do you think, Dave? Yeah, I think that'll do. That's, uh, yeah, got to get back to it. <laughs> got to get back to it. Yeah, get back to this GCVE stuff. Of course, we're on uh, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you're listening on iTunes, go write us a review. That'll really help the show out. Of course, you can contact the show, gcplife at casna.com.au. And we are on Twitter. Oh, boy. At gcplife. You can check us out on the website. You can Google that now and you'll find us. And I think they're going to update my photo because they took a photo of me with my arms crossed as well. And I had the GCP Life shirt on. Oh, so that's going to be thrilling to see. <laughs> uh, and of course, today's sponsor was Casna at Kasna that we make your Google Cloud solutions possible. That's about it for us. You got anything else to add, Dave? No, I'll let everyone go. Give them back a couple of minutes of their day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks for spending time with us, guys. We'll catch you in two weeks. Bye. Bye. <laughs>
you can go onto our YouTube channel, uh, Casner Between Two Chows YouTube channel. Um, <laughs> Between Two Chows. Um, <laughs> 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 like like the dogs or gonna, like between meals? <laughs> I'm not even going to mention that today. <laughs> I want to have a between two chows. It's like, yeah, have a meal, have a podcast, and then have another meal. Google chow platform. I suppose that would be what like the canteen would be called in a Google office. Yeah, that's right. Or maybe 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 in the, the Kasner office, that's, that can be – we can put – Chow time up on the in the in the mantle office canteen. <laughs> uh, <no>. Anyway, <laughs> all right, <clears throat> I'll do all that again. Let me out of this podcast. <laughs> Are we done yet? <laughs>